welcome to the Reord Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European CMA markets. It's Tuesday, November the 8th. I'm Caterina Dassier. And I'm Andrew Ross. Coming up this week, we will be listening back to a few extracts of last week's webinar covering the latest developments on French care home operator Orpea. Reporter Declan Bush will then be talking to us about some of the key highlights from Reorg's live panel event in London last week. Finally, Deputy Editor Aurelia Seidelhofer will be talking us through the restructuring proposals for German real estate manager CoreState. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience, so please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. October 31st, Reorg held a webinar on French care home operator Orpea. Our head of credit analyst team Giulia Rusconi, legal director Sean Cresci, and our managing editor Julie Micomb discussed the chain of events which led Orpea to open a second conciliation in France in a year. We are now going to play some of the highlights of the webinar. In particular, Orpea performance severely deteriorated in the first semester of 2022, possibly beyond expectations. Here is why the BITDAR margin dropped to 18.6% in the first half of 2022, compared to 24.9% last year. Essentially, the impact was from three different factors. One was the, the, the margin last year was benefit from um, sizable one of income, like reversal of provisions. Uh, another portion was due to uh, the reduction in COVID compensation, which was a sort of subsidies for um, from the government to compensate for the compensation rate drop and the, the more cost that they have to uh, incur due to COVID. And management said that this year, the occupancy rate, it has recovered, but not to an extent that it could offset completely the COVID cost. And then the, the other major part is due to food inflation and energy prices. Europea says that they don't hedge uh, energy prices, or at least this was the decision taken last year. And, um, and so because of this, uh, management said it would expect inflation to have to further deteriorate the margins in the next, um, the next semester, leading to potential breach of confidence. And um, this alongside to the you know, weak economic uh, environment and uh, potential lower, uh, weaker outlook for the real estate market said that, you know, put the tone that this could jeopardize the disposal program and so liquidity. And that's why we came to the second uh, conciliation talk. Then Sean explained how the French restructuring regime that Orpea finds itself in works, which was imposed following the 2021 European Parliament Directive on Preventive Restructuring Framework. Orpea will be an interesting test of the new French framework and to understand what that could look like, Shan described the two key tools, the pre-insolvency procedure, conciliation and the insolvency procedure actuated safeguard. Regarding conciliation, Shan said that it is important to remember that conciliation is consensual in nature and with a diversity of creditors and so many opposing interests that it is very difficult to reach an amicable agreement. So here is what happens if a consensual agreement cannot be reached. Okay, we've got an agreement. 
but it cannot be uh, you know unanimously agreed. What do we do? Well, then this is the next step. You go to the uh, accelerated safeguard, and certainly from my point of view, this is where things get interesting. So the conciliation does not have the power to bind non-consenting uh, creditors. Once you've got your conciliation, you can then open accelerated safeguard or financial accelerated safeguards. The important thing here is now you have the power to bind your consented creditors, but you must remember that you need to go to conciliation first. Um, and I think that's what we've seen in some of the uh, the announcements, uh, you know, um, uh, presented by OPEA. They state that you know this conciliation is is a first step, and they don't say we're going to do an accelerated safeguard, but it looks like that may be a possible step if, if they want to implement it. So let's talk a, bit, a little bit more about this, uh, this safeguard. So the tool allows the debtor to adopt a, a plan even when certain classes of creditors have opposed it through cross-class cram down subject to an absolute priority rule. Um, the, sort of, the rules are aligned at, uh, allowing the plan to be adopted by aligning the political powers that creditors have within their economic situation and also limiting the harmful power uh, of creditors who are uh, out of the money. Now, remember, as I mentioned earlier, the court, the French court, can no longer force a term out upon creditors if the class has rejected the proposed plan. And that was the last position. So there's no fallback position for a pair if the plan is rejected. Now, this important change probably makes it's certainly my view, this is a more creditor-friendly regime because the debtor can't sit back and say, well, if you guys don't reach an agreement, you'll get turned out. No, what happens is you just exit safeguard and you were where you were before. So let's look at this accelerated safeguard process uh, as if it were an exit for up here. So we know that you can't enter your accelerated safeguard unless you've had a consensual proceedings beforehand. Up here has done that. Um, and we know that uh, you must uh, have uh, a draft plan to ensure uh, the, the viability of, of your plan, which must be presented in conciliation, and your company must not have been insolvent for more than 45 days. And I think our pairs certainly getting towards that position. Um, the Only the affected parties are entitled to vote on the draft plan, uh, which means that namely creditors who are directly impaired by the proposed plan will, will vote, and similarly equity holders who are having their equity interested uh, amended can vote. Finally, and I'll sort of maybe in my last part of my slides, I'll, I'll draw some simulate uh, some some similarities uh, between the accelerated safeguards and the French twenty six A. You have court hearings, you have cross class cram down, and it's binding on all creditors. Okay, let's go a little bit more into uh, the, the 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 accelerated safeguards. So, and as I said, I'll try and compare this to the restructuring plan. So, the first thing to remember is credit credit committees. They used to be uh, used by uh, uh, previous French tools. They're gone. The uh, accelerated safeguard actually uses creditor classes coupled with cross-class cramdown. Now, it's the French appointed uh, French court-appointed receiver who will determine class constitution based on. Now, this is interesting. Based on tenants that the creditors share a sufficient community of interests will be in the same class, and that creditors in the same class should benefit from equal treatment by the plan. Now, that's quite a departure from what we have in the UK. Um, when you're looking at schemes of arrangement and 26A, we've got well, decades of, of jurisprudence under, under schemes and certainly two or three years under the 26A. But your classes, are the basic tests, are creditors who have the same rights against the debtor should be placed in the same class. Nothing to do with interests. So this sort of community of interest concept means that 
you know, obviously au pairs using a French uh, proceeding, but you might have a slightly different outcome had it used a scheme or a restructuring plan. Um, in terms of our, our numbers, we are requiring two thirds of creditors in each class uh, for, for each class to, to consent. So that's your in-class cram down number, your uh, two thirds. That's lower than the English tool, 75%. Uh, and then we also have cross-class cram down. And we've had a few um, questions before about cross-class cram down. So let's try and, in a nutshell, explain how, how it works in France. So the key conditions, and I'm only going to set out the, the jurisprudence ones rather than the, the sort of ad administration um, requirements, because it's just assume the all-payer uh, uh, follows all the correct administrative points. So in order for cross-class cram down to be used in accelerated safeguards, uh, it needs to be, uh, there needs to be an approval by a majority of the in-the-money classes, including secured or higher-ranking claims. Secondly, there needs to be uh, a compliance with the absolute priority rule. Uh, essentially, that means you can't give any junior class uh, any cash until you've fully repaid anyone who above, who's above them. Uh, and finally, a compliance with uh, the rule according to which a creditor cannot receive more than their entitlement. Now, this cross-class cram down can be used to bind equity holders uh, to the plan if the equity holders are out of the money and there's no transfer of all or part of the rights of equity holders. So there's a small sort of residual shareholder right there. And we have to remember in, in, in the um, case of Orpair, it, it, it's listed. So it's a very different shareholder dynamic to uh, other French um, restructurings we've, we've covered. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is court involvement and challenge, right? Because this is when things get uh, complicated for our debtor. So broadly speaking, the, the way that, or, or, or the things that can be challenged by creditors uh, if they're not happy, are uh, class um, class formation, which is, is similarly something that which is often challenged in, in schemes in 26A. You know, people arguing they should be fracturing all the classes, or they're not in the in the, in the right class. Uh, if that's going to be uh, 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 pursued, then any sort of dissenting creditor creditor will have to make its appeal uh, immediately after they have they're notified about the formation of their classes. Uh, and then finally, in terms of practical terms. Once your draft, your draft plan has been adopted by each of your classes, it's submitted to the relevant French uh, commercial courts, uh, and then it's up to the courts to decide whether or not it gives a, a positive judgment. So that's my uh, uh, sort of French restructuring regime run through. Finally, the team presented some forecasts and a waterfall analysis and concluded that it is unlikely the Orpea can avoid a scenario of debt equalization as it needs to reduce leverage and clean the capital structure to attract new money. Our speakers also said that management's new transformational plan will need to fix several other issues, restore profitability together with its reputation, which might be a hard balance to reach. On November 3rd, Reorg hosted its first live event in London since the COVID-19 pandemic. We brought together a panel of experts to ask where the next wave of distressed situations is coming from and what the future may hold. Our reporter Declan Bush was covering the event. Declan, what were some of the main takeaways? Well, we've been hearing for a while now that the next big wave of restructurings will hit in about two months from now, and so there's still some uncertainty there. But the panel said the combination of economic conditions like quantitative tightening, peak profitability, higher inflation, and in the UK, the knock-on impacts of Brexit will all increase distress. 
Uh, but one group to watch is businesses that sell expensive discretionary consumer items like cars, white goods or electronics. So these factors plus high energy prices mean we can expect more in-court restructurings, particularly early next year. And where will these companies restructure? So our panel was clear they think England will continue to stay on top, even though they do now have competition from European countries with new pre-insolvency procedures. England has 150 years of legal procedural history and its new restructuring plan was tested several times during COVID, so issuers will probably keep coming to London. We heard the new European tools combine the best parts of Chapter 11 in the English scheme of arrangement, at least on paper, but they haven't caught up in practice. Uh, Lois Deasy from Wild Gottschall made a good point when she said that people will seek certainty in uncertain times. We've had a long period of relatively benign amend and extend deals rather than proper balance sheet restructurings. Will these new cases be civil or will they, or will we see creditors get a bit more aggressive? The panel said the A&E era will probably continue, but in a more aggressive way. So in the US, we've seen cases of what's being called creditor-on-creditor violence, with creditors using new legal tactics to fight for a better position in the capital structure. Everyone is watching this, but it's not certain that the same thing will happen here in the UK and Europe. Things like covenant thresholds are generally higher here, for example, and there are differences in the law over directors' duties that people need to watch out for. So while creditors should certainly be vigilant and know where their vulnerabilities are, it will depend on the company in question. And what's more, we heard that it's often cheaper and easier to follow a consensual solution like partnering with the sponsor rather than using coercive tactics. So cooperation may just pay off. Thanks, Declan. Hello, Aurelia. This week, there has been finally a development with German real estate manager Corstate, after negotiations seems to have been stuck for months. It would be good to find out more about this, but... First, can you please tell me a bit more about what the company does? Sure. So Coestate is a bit of a strange real estate company in some ways. Its business consists of, broadly speaking, two segments. The real estate equity segment and the real estate debt segment. In the equity part, they kind of source and acquire relevant real estate assets, perform management services and structure and implement uh, various investment products. And in the debt segment, that is primarily focused on um, mezzanine lending, which effectively means loans to really early stage um, real estate developments with typically quite high interest uh, rates. And it has several funds um, in the segment. They're called Stratus. And that's where all these loans are bundled and investors can, can buy these um, funds to invest in. Okay, thank you. And so there have been restructuring discussions with holders of the 200 million euros convertible bond maturing at the end of this month and the 300 million euro bond due April 2023 since spring now. What do we find out about these discussions this week? Yeah, so we already knew uh, before this announcement that discussions were kind of stuck around various aspects. Um, but this week, the company released a cleansing statement saying that there are two competing proposals. One is from the bondholder group, which is advised by Milbank and Julia. And the other one is from existing shareholders and new equity investors. And they are not compatible? 
No, so the only thing they agree on at the moment is that out of the 500 million bonds, only 100 million new OPCO notes would be in the new structure. And effectively, the bondholders want to take 80% of the post-restructuring equity, while the equity investor group, so this group of existing shareholders and new investors, they want to provide 45 million to meet the new money need of the business. And then the, these, this investor group would, so the new equity investors would receive about 75% of the shares and the existing shareholders would retain about 18% of the shares post-transaction. Is there any analysis on how much bondholders would recover in a liquidation scenario? And can we put these proposals into context? Yes, so in some way, that's actually interesting bit about this. Um, the company said in this cleansing statement that the implied recovery for bondholders would be 18% and there would be a zero recovery for existing shareholders, of course, that in a liquidation scenario. It also said in the statement that the company needs about 25 million new money including 15 million of additional liquidity required in mid-December and 10 million at the closing of the transaction. So the bondholders would, would be prepared to provide this, this new money need as well. Um, but uh, I think there's just um, yeah disagreement over who should own this business afterwards. I mean, this sounds like a difficult situation to me to resolve, especially with the maturity coming up at the end of November already. What do you think will happen and what's the outlook for the business in case bondholders and the company do strike a restructuring agreement? Yes, I would say it's a very tricky situation. Um, in addition to the maturity the company is facing, there's actually um, another problem because it is currently in a 30-day grace period because it missed a coupon payment on October the 17th for its 2023 bond. So uh, we have kind of a hard trigger, not very far away. Um, I personally think the company and the, the bondholders might need to seek some sort of standstill agreement if discussions are to continue. Um, but uh, I haven't had any information on this yet. More generally speaking, um, in regards to the operational outlook for the business, I think this also looks very difficult um, and could also be the reasons why, you know, this, this restructuring is so difficult. Um, the company said in this cleansing statement that it is experiencing weak evaluations in ongoing sales processes with discounts of about 10 to 20 percent to book value. So um, investors don't really want to sell at the moment, uh, which in turn means then fewer sales fees for core estate. And um, in the debt segment, which uh, I described earlier, the company said it has received no performance fees from the Stratus 2 fund um, after distributions and redemptions were suspended a bit um, earlier in the year. And uh, it now actually also expects that two of the Stratus funds um, will probably be liquidated. So, so this segment, which which was very profitable historically, uh, seems to be really struggling. Um, so whatever the way forward is, uh, it it doesn't look like um, it will be easy to to recover for core estate to um, yeah its previous operational um, performance. 
Register today for Reorg Credit Cloud's demo on Thursday, November 10th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Our team will showcase how Credit Cloud helps to quickly identify new distressed opportunities and potential advisory mandates, efficiently perform due diligence and build sets. Registration details on reorg.com. Reorg customers can also analyze loan ownership profiles with the CLO dataset. With access to detailed CLO information from nearly 200 managers, subscribers can filter through issuers, loans, maturity, spread, GICS sector, and more to screen for lending opportunities. Contact sales at reorg.com for more information. More information on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope that you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.